Hi, I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit, The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something that through no fault of our own or through our own making, we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources, so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and then found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. It's a beautiful day in paradise, and I want to thank everybody for being here at Stand Up and Speak Up. Today's show is amazing. I have a special guest coming in special. She's in Houston, Texas, and we woke her up this morning. I want to <laughs> welcome my new friend, Gati Warema. Welcome to Stand Up and Speak Up. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad you're here too. And I, Gati and I have, like many of my guests, have not met in person, <laughs> but we've, we were introduced to each other through uh, Women on Fire and Allison Harvey out of Ontario. And uh, I was just watching your Woman on Fire video on the Inspirational Month with Allison. Yeah. And I took notes. We're going to talk a little bit about that. I thought that was really fun. Sweet. And uh, so to begin with, my friend, I like to have my guest tell us a little bit about your, your background, where you were from. Okay. For most okay. of my guests, it's like 50 years ago, so they're trying hard to remember. You're <laughs> one of my younger ones, and I love it. Uh, so where did you grow up? A little bit about your family. And then we'll go from there. Yes. So I was born and raised in Miami, Florida. I am of Haitian and Kenyan descent. So in Miami, there's a area called Little Haiti where I spent some of my early years in North Miami Beach before moving to Orlando to finish um, high school. So definitely a Florida girl, but um Growing up in that area, it's uh, very communal. And even though it's in the States, um, you will find a lot of uh, culture, the Haitian culture particularly. So the food, the language, you know, I spoke Creole um, growing up and I hadn't gone to Haiti until I was well into my 20s. Oh, so wow. that just shows you how much the culture is immersed there. But um yeah, just immigrant parents. My mother, uh, majority of the time, uh, raised me and my seven siblings. So, you know, that was a lot. There was a lot going on all the time. And um, it was fun. But, you know, as a lot of people in America live below the poverty line, we were a part of that group. And so um, that never deterred our spirit. We were always um, motivated by our mother, who was a praying woman, to just um, do our best. And um, no matter what is going on in the outside, 
to make sure we show up and present our best selves all the time and just have faith in God. So um, yeah, I just grew up in a very religious home, but um, a lot of love and um, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's so much to that, but um, I, I'm from Miami, Florida and it's, and it was a um, very interesting upbringing, a lot of beaches, and um, of course, hot, but uh, very fun. Um, where were you? In, where were you in the group of eight? I am number five. Oh, you're in the middle. Yeah, I am. I have a one older brother, uh, and so we're we're the two in the middle. And uh, I, I, I like to think I was one of those kids who was very perceptive and because I saw the struggles that my mother had with the older ones and the younger ones, I tried to be the one that was, that she didn't have to worry about. So, um, you know, I, I just grew up to kind of be helping, helping out and, uh, just trying to be as mature as possible to not give her any headaches because she had enough to deal with. Well, sounds like you were a wonderful daughter and, and how did you like to read or were you always into sports? What, what kind of hobbies and stuff did you have? Yeah, so growing up in the church, my mother always made sure that we, um, you know, knew the Bible. So she had us always reading the Bible and reading it to her to make sure that we were actually reading. Um, but besides that, she was a strict strictler for education. So um, before we even started school, she made sure that we knew all our times tables to 12 and daily we'd have to write portions of the dictionary. So um, <laughs> early on, she did not believe in television and eventually she broke down and just had to get one to keep us entertained so we wouldn't hurt ourselves. But um, yeah, I, I was a reader uh, back in the day on the radio, there used to be these uh, stories called Adventure and Odyssey. And oh, those are great. They were so good. And he used to come on like once a week. So me and my younger sister, we just would not, could not wait till Thursday to just sit in the car and hear the 30 minutes or hour episode. And um, even to this day, I have a insane love for audiobooks. Like I hardly listen to music in my car. I have like a hundred plus books in my audiobook. I'm like, these people owe me at this point, but it's, yeah, yes. <laughs> That's so, like um, me too, but the uh, Adventures in Odyssey, my grandchildren listen to those. We uh, used to have them on CD the old back of the day and we, or the, whatever you throw them in the DVD player, CD player in the car. And we could listen to those for hours. Exactly. Exactly. And it just took you on um, your mind on different adventures. And I think that's what started my wanderlust. So, oh, yeah. um, I have two older brothers and um, my eldest one was uh, into sports. And so he, when he went to the park to play, all of us went to the park, you know, we just kind of all followed him. And um, so that made us really active. We were always in the park and um, playing all the sports. Actually near our school, we had a youth center. And so the youth center would have dance, golf, um, hockey, basketball. And so being that we were always there, uh, particularly myself, I participated in everything. So I was on the golf club, on the dance team, and I got pulled in on the basketball team because I'm tall. So I'm six feet tall and I've been this height since, um, about the seventh grade. So when I first started, um, they would 
bring me on and they just tell me to put my hands up and play defense. And so I was really happy to do that, just be a little aggressive and, and try to block people. But eventually I'm like, I want to score. And um, so I, I kind of worked on my game outside of the team. And uh, the first time I scored, they were so happy. They're like, wow, you can score now. And I'm like, yeah, I, I can score. now. I, I don't only play defense. So, uh, so, and this was the next season. So um, I remember the first breakout game, I had a couple of points and uh, I got to the free throw line and my coach told me to um, miss the first one and make this, well, make the first one and miss the second one. And I thought like, oh, wow, you can control if you make or miss, you know, I'm like, I didn't really realize that. I thought it was like a chance thing. And so from that time on, I decided that I wanted to learn the game so that I can make shots at my will, but also like just be great because um, at the time the WNBA had just started and Miami had a team. Um, and so my passion for basketball grew then once I went to a game and saw that women were playing basketball professionally and they were still beautiful and cute, which is, I was worried about that back then and yeah. still now today, today, but um it was then that I decided to, that I wanted to play basketball and uh, let that be how I got a scholarship for college and um, kind of bring me up from the instability that I grew up um, with. Were you ostracized at all for, for that, for doing that? <laughs> for playing basketball? Well, for playing basketball and just concentrating so much, because I'm sure there are a lot of distractions, you know, between the beach and kids getting in <laughs> trouble and <laughs> mom that's on the other great, side <laughs> I know right that's a great question um so when I was younger uh we had a couple of incidents happen in our family like my one of my older brothers got in a really bad car accident that put him in a coma while he was around six years old mm -hmm. so that kind of changed the landscape of our family and then um I got an accident to where my front teeth mm -hmm. were knocked out and my and my adult teeth just came in so that was very devastating for me because my mother could not fix it and bless her heart she was like you'll just have to grow up and be a dentist I'm like I don't want to be a dentist to fix my teeth my and father's a dentist you would love him <laughs> <laughs> I love dentists actually you make a great dentist. <laughs> I've been in their office so many times but once I was in fourth grade when that happened and um, I became really insecure because it was my front teeth. And so basketball was a great space for me to immerse myself in and a place where you're not judged. You really just judge based on your performance level. And once I recognized that, I found a lot of joy because I wasn't self-conscious and the better I got, the more popular I got, despite my physical appearance. So um, when I, um, during that time, uh, it was it was really interesting because I, I, I've always been a quiet person, a kid up until that point, but with basketball, I just gained more popularity because I play all the time before school, after school. And so before school, all the, all the guys, you know, be looking for me to come play. So because all the guys were my friends, all the girls wanted to be my friends. And so, you know, the girls would be like, Hey, got to come over here, come talk to us. And I'm like, 
uh, okay. And then all the guys come and next thing you know, all the, everyone's together and talking and flirting and I'm just still there, you know, just enjoying myself. But that's what I love about the game. It brings people together on and off the court. And it also is a space where um, it can be a sanctuary of sorts. Like if you're going through a lot, um, a lot of people use basketball as therapy. It saved a lot of people's lives. And I think I'm one of those people because I was able to focus on my game and it made me great as opposed to building on my insecurities. And that that's really important. I'm thinking back um, when I was in between like seventh and eighth grade, I grew six inches in the summer. Oh, wow. It got me only to five, eight. So I'm not as tall as you, but at five, eight at 13 years old, you're pretty tall. Usually the boys are a lot shorter than you are. And, yes. <laughs> and that's when the shoulders start to hump a little bit. And, you, and I felt like we kind of go small because yeah. we don't want to be taller than the boys, taller than your brothers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, did you, were you tall as a, as a young girl too? Or was there a time when you just had that growth spurt? Yeah, I was always um, one of the tallest. I remember in my elementary school, it was two of us that were the two tall girls. And I'm so competitive. Once I realized there was someone taller than me, I'm like, I want to be taller than her. <laughs> <laughs> so she wound up being six, five, which I thought maybe I'd grow more, but after the seventh grade, uh, God thought six feet was enough. So, um, yeah, I, it, it, uh, it really was, was, was a blessing. Once I stopped tripping over myself and got some coordination, um, the game of basketball drew a lot of um, coaches into my life who instilled discipline, who taught me how to work out and um, who would monitor how I was doing in school to determine if I would play or not. And so there started being a lot of accountability and a lot of people speaking into my life as a result of these coaches coming in and these great teammates that we would hold each other accountable to make sure that we were able to play. So no getting in trouble, no, um, you know, like hanging out with the wrong crowds because basketball was our focus and winning was our focus. And um, by the time I was in sixth grade, I had a core group of girls, about five of us who were just so focused, like, Everyone knew we were going to be bas we were going to be basketball players and everyone supported that. And it was really great to have the support of the community. That's nice. It wasn't just you. Cause I could see there's a lot of pressure put on young athletes yes. uh, by families, by coaches, by someone trying to monetize what you're doing later on. Yes. And that, <laughs> I, so how, how, did that manifest at all in your life too, especially because you got the, you got the scholarship to, to college, yes. went on to school. And then how did you move up forward from there? Cause that was pretty exciting. It, it was. And I, I want to, so in sixth grade, I had a friend whose mom worked at Barry university and she was selected as a ball girl. So she was one of my teammates and she was like, come be a, they need an extra girl. You should come and do it. I'm like, all right. So while I'm there, this is my first time seeing women play in college. So I'm just watching this high paced game and they're so skilled and I'm just in awe and I'm here wiping the floors, getting the balls for them, just so happy to be there. And afterwards I go to the coach and, and I ask her, I'm like, um, if I want to go to college and play basketball, you know, how do I do it? Like, how good do I have to be? 
And she looked me up and down and she was like, well, when you graduate, come see me and I'll give you a scholarship. I'm like, but you never saw me play. She was like, I know you're good. So I thought I'm like, well, if she's offering me a scholarship on the spot, you know, I wonder how many um, schools would be interested in me and how big can I go? And so um, with the discipline I learned through a coach in Miami named Coach Thomas, who taught me how to work out and push my body, um, we moved to Orlando. And I was a little devastated because I told you I had my core group. We were going to go to high school together, win championships and all that. But it was ripped apart. And so um, it wound up being a blessing because when I got to Orlando, I was discovered by a, a renowned NBA a professional trainer who taught me my shot. And that was around the eighth grade. And so I became I became known for my aggressive game, uh, my ability to rebound and my ability to score from anywhere on the court and became highly recruited um, by like 40 schools. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, um, they even had a MTV special they were doing on women athletes. It was a new initiative and they selected several girls from different cities around the country and I was one of them so there was a camera uh two two people two journalists who would come and follow me and come to the games and and although I was um excelling at you know sports I was still a little insecure because not you know my teeth are still broken and I'm trying to be a feminine girl and I just feel unattractive but I just had a lot of internal talks with myself um, to motivate, just saying that, you know, you can either cower now or be bold now and get your exposure and eventually fix your teeth, like, you know, let that be the mindset. And so I chose boldness and, um, high school won several, uh, two, uh, high school championships and, um, for college, it was, it was interesting because for the 40 schools that recruited me, um, I didn't know where to go. And um, my mother and my stepdad, um, they, they're not sports people. And so they really didn't have um, much insight about what school to go to. But they were a little scared for me to um, go to a larger university. They wanted me to go somewhere where I could get individualized attention and a coach would look out for me um, as a woman, as a young black woman. Um, they were just very scared to send me into the world. And so um, there's a, a legend, her name is Cynthia Cooper, who um, would come around uh, and recruited me and my parents fell in love with her and, and uh, convinced me to go to Prairie View A&M University where I attended um, in Texas. And uh, it was really great. We won several championships. Unfortunately, HBCUs don't get a lot of exposure, national exposure, and the possibility of going pro from HBCUs is just really slim. And so I understood that, uh, but I went anyway because I just wanted to go against the grain and um, show that HBCUs can get quality players, um, elite players, and um, we won three championships, conference championships, went to the NCAAs. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, I was uh, struck by the injury bug and I tore my knee twice. So yeah, once I recovered um, my senior year, I wind up um, going to a combine 
an opportunity for players to get seen by professional and international teams. And from there, I was invited to China. And um, once I went to China, I just kind of kept my career overseas. Well, I was watching, I, I do research on my guests and I was watching some of the things you were doing in Romania. Um, one uh, of my former guests was Romanian, but I'm listening. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's all in Romanian. I couldn't understand a thing except for your <laughs> name. I saw your number and I was, and your name, I could hear your name. Yeah. But you were there for a while, right? Were you in nine months? How did you, how did you get along? I mean, you didn't grow up with Romanian. They speak English or did you just kind of <laughs> language through it? <laughs> Chefach to all the Romanians. <laughs> um, you know, I think what helped me was being, was having parents that are uh, immigrants um, and being so closely immersed in um, the Caribbean culture. Uh, what I, and Miami, of course, is a melting pot of different cultures. And so um, I'm really happy to say that I really haven't had um, issues with um, other groups because I, we're all kind of going through the same struggle and the same journey. And so when I would travel, I just kept that in mind. And if you treat people respectful, um, you'll more times than not uh, have that reciprocated. And so for me, I, I am an athlete, but I'm also a nerd. So like when I go somewhere, I want to know about the culture. I want to know um, the history of it, where they are now, who the people are, who the people are historically. And so I ask a lot of questions. And when you ask questions and you're interested, people are interested in you and they want to share about their culture. So it was really great. Actually, I had a lot of sweet teammates that would, they would take us out, the, the Americans, because typically, um, depending on what country and how much money the club has will depend on how many foreigners you can have. And so this team had about three foreigners. So two Americans and a, a Serbian um, player, and they just really showered us with love. Um, they, Romania, if you guys don't know, is a party town. Okay. Like they party from the afternoon to the next day when the sun comes up. So, um, you know, I, I experienced some of that. Uh, uh, I'm always trying new foods. Um, the shopping was really great. So that was a lot of fun. You know, it's a really big city. Like, I don't know if a lot of people know Bucharest. I was in the capital. You know, it's a huge city, um, subway system, tram system. So it was really great to explore um, everywhere that I traveled. Uh, I traveled to Italy, Austria, uh, Czech Republic, China, which I mentioned, um, Beirut, Lebanon. I went there twice. Uh -huh, yeah. Really amazing. Qatar, uh, Alexandria, Egypt, Cairo, Egypt. And each place that I went, I, I made sure to explore and learn something new and enjoy myself and uh, love on the people that were around me. So it was just such an incredible experience. So you're a rock star. Ah. <laughs> You're a celebrity. So in that in that vein, though, uh, it's it's interesting going being somewhat of a known personality, especially with your basketball team. You know, you yeah. these tall girls are showing up. Um, did you have? Were there any uh, were there any people that wanted to take advantage of you? 
you know, there are always some of those people in the world. Um, there were people that had issues with me being um, a woman making good money um, ahead of them. And there were people who had issues with me being black in their countries. So they would yell out slurs or say inappropriate comments about my body or whatever. But um, I would say more times than not, it'd be respect and sometimes a lot of times indifference, you know, a lot of staring. I just got used to people just looking at me, you know, in the States when someone's staring at you, when you look at them, they typically turn their heads. Yeah. Not, not over there. <laughs> uh, you, you, you look at them and they're going to keep staring at you. They win all the staring contests. Okay. Um, so, you know, at people wanting to touch you, I was going to ask if it, not your skin, your skin, but maybe your hair. Yes. Yes. I, in, in China, they would, it was, it was so incredible. We were having these games at all these new, um, arenas that they were building and the whole cities would come out and um, we had to be escorted by guards because people would just rush us and just be pulling on us. And I remember in our hotel when we were eating at different times, you know, the ladies would come over and ask to touch my hat. They would call it my hat, my hat. And I'm like, okay, like I tell one person, yes. The next thing, five people are in my hair. I'm like, uh, okay, get it in while you can. <laughs> and then just like rubbing on my skin, I guess, trying to see if it's going to rub off, wow. if it's going to rub off, you know, um, just really interesting. And uh, so, so many interesting moments. But um, I would say uh, for the most part, it was so much love, you know, um, that outweighed the, uh, you know, the the ones who chose to be ignorant. Um, I will say this, there was one turning point and this happened in Romania. Um, so there were a lot of American basketball players because there are a lot of teams. So if each one has two, maybe there were about 20 of us in the country. And so um, this particular weekend, a lot of the athletes came to Bucharest because it was the capital. And there's one young player in particular who lived about 45 minutes away. He decided not to come and he would meet us the, the next day because it was a, a weekend plan that, that we had planned. And, um, and this just showed us the reality of just like everywhere and um, how you have to always be mindful of where you are in your surroundings. Um, he was out with his teammates, was drinking, having a merry time. And uh, a local girl came and was flirting with him and was making advances on him and he put his hat on her head and I guess some people saw and they beat him up and it was so bad that he was rushed to the hospital and he never woke up oh yeah and and so that was it was a time that you know a lot of players decided to go back home because you know who wants to come and play basketball and have their family get a call that you know, they're never coming home again. And so it just showed us the realities of um, a lot of places in this world and that you just have to always be careful and be mindful no matter what age you are, if you're traveling alone, just um, uh, make sure that you protect yourself. And it was a, a young black man and there were some really nasty things said about him. And it was around the time of that the Trayvon Martin 
incident happened. And so, you know, just under, just trying to deal with um, the realities of cruel human nature and being a young woman, it was a lot for me because I'm very emotional. Like I'm very connected to um, people and, and culture. And so um, that was almost a turning point um, for me and a lot of players, it was for them, but um, yeah, it just, it just was a lesson that we all learn to be extra careful when you're traveling internationally because you never know who has what intentions for you. Well, that's true anywhere, but I I find it's an extraordinary experience for you to have traveled outside of the country. I, I'm a big proponent of get away from America, get away from yeah. where you where you live, so that yeah. when you come home, you see things through the eyes that, that have been changed on an international basis. So when you came home, how did that experience living overseas change the way you viewed what was going on here in America? Kind of a broad topic, but yeah, no, no, I understand. How do you feel about home. <laughs> Um, I just, I just recognize the privilege that we have in this country. And, um, with that privilege for myself, I understand that, um, you know, we create the life that we want and we have to go for what we want. Like, there's a lot of individuals who make excuses about what they, um, can't do and, and, um, how do I put this? Basically, okay, so for example, I noticed that a lot of countries don't have, let's say, financial aid or credit cards or, um, um, you know, can't set up businesses like we can here. Here, the average person can go on the Secretary of State website, start your business and begin to build. And so for me, understanding the privileges that we have here made me want to take advantage of them as an American. And then it wanted, it helped me to be an advocate, like, like you were just saying for travel, because um, the more you travel, the more you, it expands your mind and the problems that we think are so big, we realize that we, that, you know, they're not insurmountable and, um, and that we're really stronger than we think. Um, because we're all going through similar experiences, like I was saying, and um, it's it's we have to be mindful of just um, the energy that we put into what we do and what we give others. I will say this too, um, you know, growing up really Christian um, and going to parts of the world that um, observed other religions, you know, I saw that what I, I like to say love is my religion because when you go and you're speaking to people who have different beliefs and different um, uh, ways of living than you, uh, you realize that you all are trying to accomplish the same goal, you know, all trying to be good people, trying to um, help others, serve others. And in that way, it, it, it um, kind of dissolved a lot of the separation that I thought uh, different religions brought into the picture and rather helped me understand that, you know, we're all kind of on the same path and, and um, walking with others is just, <clears throat> it makes us stronger. And so, <laughs> yeah, I know that was. Well, and I think it way. comes down to understanding and, and seeing a different perspective. I lived in Germany for three years and traveled uh, fairly extensively, but um, 
there were times when I felt alone, especially, you know, I, I didn't, my husband at the time spoke German, so uh, he could get us into places that I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I spoke smiles <laughs> <laughs> and, <not. laughs> and I had kids and so my kids were well-behaved and, and they kind of got us into doors because the Germans would think that you bring kids into a restaurant, they kind of go, ah, you bring a dog in and they were fine. <laughs> but my made sure that my kids were well-behaved and they could sit there and eat a meal. So it, it showed them that not all, um, you know, American kids are, are hood hooligans. Um, <laughs> but I just found, especially in, in my show now, I've, I've interviewed a lot of folks and I loved their stories. I love that all of us have something that's happened in our lives that we've hit rock bottom. We've come back up. We can show hope to anybody yeah. And it's being open and honest and vulnerable about what, what we've done, who we are, sharing our families and our, our upbringing in a way that, like, I have a friend the other day, she said, I could tell you I had a horrible growing uh, childhood experience, but I've chosen to rewrite the story. Yeah, I love like, that. It's all between the ears. Um, yeah. yeah, we've all had something awful happen to us. We need to rewrite the story because life's too short to live in the past or live in that pain and yes we're gonna i I love what we're talking about and i love what you're doing with the basketball and the ladies of the ladies of the game ladies of the game and you're empowering the young women but i gotta tell you i laughed this morning i was watching a a video a youtube uh, interview you did in atlanta with three gals and a guy and you oh my gosh what's up atlanta or something like that yeah talking about start talking about dating (laughs) yes that was a really interesting uh discussion at least from my point (laughs) looking in because I could be your mom and uh, (laughs) but I was also talking to another friend about Atlanta you've not you now live in Atlanta yes how long you've been there I've been there about seven months okay so what was your experience moving to Atlanta because I think they referenced it as the, the black Hollywood. Yeah. I yeah. lived in Atlanta after college. And of course I was just there for a short time. I have a yeah. lot of friends that have moved there. So what's the feeling now? How do you feel about moving to a city that they call that? And how are you doing? <laughs> yes. So I, pre pandemic, I was in grad school in Houston. Um, and I'm very familiar with Houston because I attended undergrad here. So now I've been in Houston. Well, at the time I've been in Houston longer than I was in Orlando for high school. And um, I thought Houston was great, but I'm an East Coast girl being from Florida and I wanted to be closer to beaches. Um, also, I have uh, two sisters and a handful of nephews that live in Atlanta. And so I'd always visit and When I was there, I always wanted to spend more time. And um, yeah, it does have the Black Hollywood moniker. And it attracted me because because there's a high concentration of African-Americans who are successful Mm -hmm. and who not only are they successful, but they like helping others. And um, there's a lot of projects. And so over the years, as I've been an athlete, I've always been really involved in community outreach, in um, the <clears throat> music and the arts. I grew up in in choirs, and I did plays, and I used to do um, com- competitive speeches. So 
my, the idea after I got my master's in community development, and once things opened back up after the pandemic, it was like a reset for a lot of people. And I thought that in this time where a lot of people are, are um, rediscovering or reemerging as, you know, um, their, their new selves or, or, or creating opportunities for themselves, I thought that Atlanta would be a really good place for me because it was close to home, about six hours from my, my parents and some of my other siblings. And um, what I really love about Atlanta, which you know, is the city is, is right there, but then you can go into nature, you can find waterfalls and parks. And, and for me, um, that is really important because I use nature as a healing tool so to disconnect. And now I don't have to go you know, uh, to another state or hours away. I can drive 30 minutes and be immersed in the woods yeah. and, um, and, and, that, and be satisfied. So um, <clears throat> I'm really happy to establish Ladies of the Game Georgia there, which I have. And I've already gotten several young ladies in the community um, who want to be a part of my program. So yeah. What, what, and what, is, ladies, what is Ladies of the Game? So Ladies of the Game was created for uh, in high school. Um, being an athlete, you know, uh, I mentioned that a lot of coaches came into my life and they really helped develop me to get me prepared for where I was going to go. And so um, during, during that journey, I did have a couple of coaches who, you know, who uh, would get a little selfish with me and want me to go where they wanted me to go or do what they wanted me to do. And as a young girl, I, I was a little confused at times on what I should do. And so um, sometimes I felt like I didn't have a core person or people that I could just trust with my best interest. Mm -hmm. And so um, sometimes I felt lost. And um, speaking to some of my teammates, I realized that that was the case for a lot of athletes and particularly women don't get as much attention as men, of course, men's sports. So uh, I decided to start Ladies of the Game uh, once I started playing overseas. When I'd come back home, I'd be a assistant coach for a, um, a high school that, um, you know, didn't have as many resources. And I decided to, um, the girls who wanted the help, I would um, mentor them, train them, prepare them for college, let them know everything that it took to be, to get in, to get a scholarship, understand financial aid, all the aspects of what it takes to be just a successful student and athlete. And um, it caught popularity um, pretty quickly. I had the support of, there's a, a famous football player named Edron James. He just got into the Hall of Fame and he's in Orlando, Florida. He's based there. And uh, he has a property where he has um, basketball courts. It's a huge facility. And he let me use his basketball courts to do my camps. And so I'd bring girls from the community in. I trained them, you know, just on basketball and life. And it started taking just um, a life of itself. So I helped about 10 girls get into school. And a lot of them have graduated already and they're doing really well. And these are girls who come from, you know, the inner city who, whose parents can't really help them and um, 
who who don't understand what it takes to um i guess like function as a adult and in society just understanding like credit and how to buy a car and um how to get an apartment and so these things i thought was so important to um to understand and particularly for athletes and leaders because we're the self-starters and we're the ones who are like looking for the help and so i just wanted to be that person that could connect them to resources or information or training to help them be you know who they wanted to be um successfully you know, I, I think that's extraordinary and uh i'm gonna connect to one of our one of our listeners actually uh runs a group called women navigating finances and a good fi- friend of mine financial uh planner friend of mine and uh always is doing work with usually women my age uh and folks that have lost their spouses but I can hear her on the other side. I can I can hear her brain going. What a great idea teaching these young women about finances, and especially women in 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 sports. Uh, I think it's amazing because we we hear so much about athletes like getting a ton of money and wasting it or blowing it or spending yeah. it on gazillion dollar houses. Uh, and I love seeing that you've put you're putting the emphasis back on service to others and helping other young women, because I can imagine that it's just a, it's an overwhelming thing to have all these people come into your life and try to run it. Exactly. And now the great thing is college athletes can get paid off of their name and likeness, uh, which creates its own set of, um, uh, I guess, you know, issues when it comes to who's getting paid, who's not getting paid. And so of course the higher profile players are, the ones who have the endorsements. But what I like to do is um, the ones who aren't maybe being seen, encourage them to start their own business, to start their own clothing line because they will have fans. They will have people in their circle and their school, their community that support them. So give them something to support. And with that, you know, you can leverage your own name and likeness as opposed to waiting on someone to come give you a deal. So that's another part of Ladies of the Game that I've expanded and extended. And I have my first young lady starting her clothing line um, uh, this fall. So that's really exciting. And, and so she's the first, but I'm, I'm, I plan to have at least 20 girls by the end of the year who I'm able to connect and um, get them their own business and start building that business credit so that when they're when they've graduated, they can leverage that and you know use it to their advantage as they're going out of their sport or you know continuing to play their game well that's tremendous because that's empowering them and and you and i have talked too about being taken advantage of and i gotta just i i did tell people about the real estate issue that you had and i want to touch on it very briefly it's not it's not a positive thing but there's a lot to learn from it uh when you uh wanted to get into real estate was that recently in, in Atlanta that that happened? And tell us, tell us what happened with this real estate deal gone bad. Yes. So no, that happened in Houston around 2017. I had just started officially made uh, ladies of the game in LLC. And um, I was majoring in community development and going to a, through a lot of real estate seminars to um, be a developer. That's really what I okay. was headed towards. 
And so I met someone who had a um, business development company who worked with a lot of realtors who wind up scamming me out of $3,000. We went to a legit site and there were actually several people involved but uh seems like it was a it was a setup by him and the intricate ruse to get this money out of me. And it was an online online investment thing? No, um we had met in person. Um he targeted me at Starbucks when I was there studying and doing some work actually for a real estate class I was taking and um from there proceeded uh you know with the scheme which took about uh, a month long, you know, several discussions, you know, I didn't just easily hand that over, but, you know, it just showed me that, um, people will go through a lot of hoops and put up a lot of smoke and mirrors to take advantage of others. And I feel like I was a little naive, um, or, yeah, I mean, and it's funny because you don't think you're naive and you're you you like to think that you're a mindful, discerning person, but there's always those people who will try to come in in more crafty ways and take advantage. So yeah, that was that happened in 2017 and it was yeah, not a not a pleasant experience. And you told me that you weren't able to get the money back because when you went to a lawyer, would the lawyer tell you? Yeah, the lawyer said it would be cost more money. Uh, to fight to try to get it back than it would be to just let it go. Um, of course, I <clears throat> called a million times, sent all kind of text messages, and uh, he would say, okay, this weekend, next weekend, okay. And then eventually he was like, well, I gave you a letter of advice, so this is my payment, you know, and this is my payment for helping you, and don't ask me about this money anymore. I went, whoa, okay. Yeah. And when I think about it, it still turns my stomach a little bit, but, you know, I'm able to, at least the lesson is to help a lot of these people that I'm working with and let them know what to be mindful of, like how to verify even further, how to, um, how to recognize individuals that are trying to take advantage of you, you know, how to not take too many risks with your own personal money, um, things like that. Well, it's, it comes down to beware and be aware and knowing what's out there. And the scammers are, uh, we, they're criminals and they're very skilled at what they do. And yeah. the thing to learn from this is, is don't blame yourself. It happens. It happens to the best of us yeah. uh, in, in many, many ways, either online or in person. I mean, it's the, the fraud is extraordinary. Uh, it's bad. It hurts people. And the people that are perpetrating it have zero conscience about it. They don't yeah, care. Certainly. And banks, you know, typically when I worked in a bank, typically anything under $2,000, if they would write it off, uh, law enforcement, again, it's very difficult to prove it and to mm. get it back. Um, so it's unfortunate, but the, the scammers know that. And so they're going to go $2,000 from a lot of people is better than a million dollars from one. Yeah. So be mindful and discerning and vigilant. All but that things. that experience has taught you in your uh, women of the of the game um, <laughs> to yeah. show these girls what's out there, because particularly as they become uh, better athletes and they're more well known. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen this, that people are going to try to take advantage of you because of who you are. Yes. Yes. And, and that was part of your discussion with the guys in, in the, the dating thing in, in Atlanta. 
was, <laughs> yes. do you feel that people are being fake and, and especially online mm. where they're putting up these profiles to entice you in and yeah. then you meet them in person if you do. And are they the same person? What are you yeah. finding? Well, you know, they, uh, there are a lot of catfish, you know, the it's that term, but that's what people yeah. understand. Yeah. And not only visually, but personality wise, you know, presenting to be someone else and, um, you know, not, not, um, not being that, you know, when you actually meet them or when you get to know them. So, you know, it, for me, it's something that to be really mindful of not to just, um, you know, walk around scorned or, or scared to interact with people or, you know, give people a chance, but really watching the signs. And once you see certain things, and especially things that don't agree with you, um, making sure that you pivot and remove yourself from the situation. I think that a lot of people, you know, we're uh, craving companionship, craving friendship to where um, sometimes we let our guards down, but it's really important to protect yourself, protect your heart, protect your mind. And with that, that means setting boundaries, whether it's um, people you're, you're meeting who want to come into your life, like let them prove why they should be a part of your life, your friendship, people who are your friends, you know, doing an, an audit of your friendships and how they're serving you. And even, you know, your, um, your family, you know, just making sure that your boundaries are, are intact to protect yourself and preserve you so that you can be, um, you can be effective in whatever you're doing and, and, and are able to, um, show love to people, you know, and not just, uh, there's so many people who are scarred by these things. And so you don't want to be one of those people who are, you know, regretting and just, um, you know, destroyed by these actions. Yeah. Your past is not your, not your destiny. And, uh, but sometimes we have to take, what I like to say is we take that pain and make it our purpose. And then it becomes our passion and you live from it, learn from it. And you got to put it behind you and make sure it doesn't happen again. But I love how you're doing that from your experience with these young girls, because we're all here to help each other. Yes. There's enough competition out there, especially on the basketball court that you don't need (laughs) that in your life outside of the court. And, and I love how you're giving back to those young women. And I know if you need any assistance, I, I, I could help. I've got lots of friends. I'm sure that would chip in um, because we want these young women to be successful. We want them. I, you know, I wish I knew when I was 20, what I know now at 64, <laughs> tell me, you know? but I yeah. can give you, if you listen, we, we can give you some of those words of wisdom that the, the friend of mine, Sharon, Sharon frame out of Atlanta. Um, she, her group is called the wow women It's women of wisdom. Wow. And, uh, and I met some fabulous ladies up in Atlanta when I was there a few years ago and, uh, and they're fun. And I was to look totally different than everybody else up there, but we were sisters from the heart. Love it. And yeah. it was great. And so the, I, I, that's why I wanted to connect with you. I love what you're doing. I yeah. encourage you to keep it up. And if you need any assistance, let us know. I've got girls that, you know, I've just put the word out. Um, I love that. But it's fun and, and keep it up. And, and I'm sorry for the real estate thing. Unfortunately, it happens. Scammers are out there in everything. Just be careful, protect yourself uh, online, in person. And you said it, it's a situational awareness. 
It's knowing what's happening around you. So last word, my friend, give us a pitch for how people can get a hold of you and where they can find the ladies of the game. Yes. So um, social media, it's my name, Gati Warima, G-A-A-T-I. W-E-R-E-M-A, and that's on Facebook, Instagram. Um, Also, my website is almost complete, but you can go up and sign up for the newsletter on www.ladiesofthegame.com. And yeah, so thank you so much, Debbie. You know, like I, I was, one thing you just said that just spoke out, that just stuck out was, you know, your past doesn't define you. The, the things that once hurt you, you know, once you step back and look at them, you can turn them into strengths and, and use them to your benefit. So I'm really happy. You know, I, I read your story. I heard your story. And, you know, I think you're such an inspiring, incredible woman. And thank you so much for having this platform and inviting me on to share. This has been really beautiful and amazing. So thank well, you. My pleasure. And you tell your young girls to be careful. Those online guys can be really dangerous. <laughs> I will. I will. Thank you, my friends, so much for being with us. I'm going to end this show and uh, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. If you are the victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami, Florida, supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can, make a small donation to help victims around the world receive the help they need. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, Check out our Benfoteaming products at benfocomplete.com. Use the special code STANDUP for a 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thank you for being with us today. Go to my website, The Woman Behind the Smile, for additional resources and information. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and enjoy the replays. My books are all available on Amazon.com and Audible, and I encourage you to join us again. Have a great day.